welcome back. Welcome to our little podcast, Two Yoke Girls, with Lorraine Shadudi and myself, Jillian. And we're here today um, to have our coffee hour discussion with, do- it's doctor, right? Mm-hmm. It is Dr. Bell Liang. Of course, we'll Bell. Okay. <laughs> Not doctor? <Mm-mm. laughs> no, okay. Um, who is a resident LPYer from back in the day and also now well probably not your first time but the first time I've known published author of an awesome book how to navigate your life um and Lorraine do you want to jump in yeah um so Belle I'm honored that you're here and I always love taking the time to chat and the way I first got to know Belle I was a grad student at BC and she was an associate professor at the time so we were both kind of figuring out our way on campus and uh, in grad school life and I was looking for more and I was stunned by the way she taught and her group counseling class and so somehow I found my way into Belle's office whether it was a little extra credit or to ask some questions and I got to be one of her grad assistants working on some of the research that she brought with her um, from a lot of work she did yeah I didn't know any of this, like none of it. I had no idea. So the most beautiful twist in the story. So, you know, little eager beaver grad student and we kind of went our ways, graduated. Belle continued to work and attract students. And then there was a moment, I think it was a 7.30 p.m. or 6.30 p.m. class at Prana Power Yoga and Belle walks in and I'm checking in all my students. And so there I am just kind of stunned and excited and all the things. And then we got to chat again after class. So we refound each other and then continue on. Belle comes on the LPY retreat. I did a lecture on meditation for her doctorate students. And here we are. I mean, it just feels like life has a way of bringing you to the people who show you the way. And then if you're lucky, you find them again and continue to learn from them. And so I'm so excited. I've been reading her book. I've been listening to her book and I'm just grateful that you're here. I love that story because I mean, you Lorraine, you're so um, humble, but really like, let's, you know, frame it the, the, the true way, which is the tables turned and you became my teacher. And, you know, really one of the biggest, um, you know, kind of rock your life moments was discovering yoga for me and learning from some of the most inspiring people that, you know, have come into my life and you are one of them. So, um, so that's kind of a cool thing, how uh, the tables turned. And, um, and now I think, you know, we have a lot of mutual um, appreciation for ways that we've learned from one another. Indeed. It's so true. We talked about how vulnerable it can feel to be in yoga, barefoot, (laughs) barely clothed. You know, we were both so buttoned up in our previous meeting of each other, you know, on our best behavior. I was in your office with a notebook every time I was there taking copious notes. Um, So I love it. And then we really did become friends in that more vulnerable way, Mm -hmm. among with other teachers and students and um, in the yoga world. And I lean on my um, counseling psychology a lot in this world. Like I never feel like my degree was, um, I use it differently. I'll say that. So that's really great. So Belle, in reading and listening to your book, there's so many things that resonate. And I think the first thing was the idea that it's all about our stories and knowing the background of how we are, who we are, and what influences our decisions, and then how we 
teach and parent from those places of conditioning and you tell a really sweet story about your family and one of your aunties saying, you know, don't work so hard, you know, you'll ruin your skin and your lively beauty if you try too hard in this world of academia, just marry a doctor. And so then your life will be set. And fast forward, Bell's the doctor and studying and researching and then showing us how to use what people tell us to make sure that we're really following our hearts. Do you wanna talk about how some of that came together in your published work, how to navigate life? <laughs> Yes. And I just, you know, I think back to, um, you know, the yoga days really where I started learning that it was okay to be more vulnerable and share more of who you really are. Um, because you're right. Like I came out of a very buttoned up kind of, um, a culture and a professional upbringing where, um, you know, you have to keep your secrets. You have to hide behind the veneer of I've got this all together and, um, and you know it's weakness to be authentic, um, especially if you have um, things in your history that you're not proud of or that are not just you know perfectly um, the way that they would look on Instagram, right? And so um, I think that that you know that that beginning um, point of like being barefoot in a studio and um, you know having the ability to learn how to be playful at something that you're not good at. And um, yeah, I still remember like one of the days that I tried to do a handstand and I, um, it was like one of those 6 a.m. I was so zealous as a begin, beginning yoga, you know, um, yoga pra practitioner. And um, I would, every chance I get, try to do those arm balances. And I went up in a um, headstand. It might've been, um, I think it was like in Amanda um, Califana's class one day. And it was just like quiet. And then all of a sudden, like I just went splat and all the <laughs> yogis in the room, you know, they're so, um, they're so, they're so like kind and not judgmental. They just all looked down and no, for, you know, like we didn't hear a thing. We didn't say a thing. We didn't hear a thing. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed. And, but it was just like, you know, example of many of the experiences that I had with yoga, learning how to be real. And I think that, um, you know, that those are some of the roots of, getting to write a book like this, where I do share some of the stories and how I, how I um, came from a certain background that I appreciate and I'm so grateful for. Mm. And of course, our histories are mixed, like we might ap appreciate and be grateful for so many aspects of it, but they also, there's things that are painful about those backgrounds. And for my family, um, my parents uh, immigrated to the US um, sacrificing a lot, like many immigrants do, to um, to be in a place where they feel like their children can have the best advantages at um, the educational meritocracy, and mm. that's what we believed in. And so, um, when I, as I was growing up in the U.S., born and growing up in the U.S., I did everything I could to try to make good on my family's sacrifices. So, um, I was focused on a mindset that was all about achieve, 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 and try to take the shortest route and the most direct route to those opportunities, whether, and, and it was defined by these external metrics of like six of, of, um, you know, accolades and prestige and money and all the things that I think for really good reasons, are important goals for um, families that are immigrants because they don't have the those opportunities and it's the way to survive. 
um, in the mm. US. And so those things really drove me. And so when that auntie spoke to me, I was like, are you kidding me? Like that <laughs> is not who I am. And I, and it really, for me, um, stirred up a lot of strength. So I have her to thank for, for that. Um, because I was like, you know, I may be a woman and I may be an Asian woman and I may have come from those routes, but that's not who I am. I'm a lot of the things that I um, respect and admire from my cultural background, but I also have a little bit of a different path forward than mm. some of the um, members of my family who, um, you know, really came from a more traditional idea of, um, you know, what women could do or should do. And, and, um, and so I have to say like their, their stories inspire me. They need the sacrifices they did. Um, and it was a virtue and it was, you know, it, it got me to where I am. And yet my path forward is, is different. Mm. I also think about how it gets passed on to the next generation. You know, you have a daughter and a son, and I think we're talking to a lot of our listeners who struggle with coming from a lot of what you explained, myself included. Uh, a lot was put in terms of expectations, and Jill, I think you can relate too, of how we achieve and how we show up in a world where our parents sacrificed for us to go not only to higher education, you know, to get graduate degrees. And then as we look at our kids and, and they're in a world that's different than the world we grew up in. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pressure on them. They're looking at parents who've already achieved. And so then where's the next level and how do they find what feels really important? And so I think sometimes our fears, and you talk about this a lot in the book, our fears and our insecurities and the things that really pushed us and drove our parents um, get passed down to them as well. And so a lot of this is helping us with ourselves, being compassionate and kind and really redefining what happiness or success or joy look like so that even if they're in situations that feel like they're working to prove themselves and get into universities, which I feel like is such a big thing as we raise our kids for them to get into the programs or in the sports, you know, there's so much competition. So would you explain a little bit about how it's changed in parenting and how your kids perhaps have a little more permission to play with the edges and redefine success? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that question because I have so much empathy um, for parents because I'm a parent and um, I also have skin in the game. I know that it is the hardest job, even if it's the most reward, one of the mm. most rewarding things um, in my life. But I, um, I have a lot of empathy for the fact that, you know, parents are doing the best they can with the um, the histories that they have, with the resources that they have, with the um, you know ways that they were socialized and the messages that they're receiving in society. So uh, the book was really a way of trying to say um, that you know you are in an important job and you're doing the best that you can, and to comfort parents that. Um, that as much as they are so, so worried about their, their, their children achieving enough, being happy enough, that a lot of the, um, you know, the tools they need to support their, their children are within. They're not, you know, that they have to keep, you know, gunning away at these unachievable goals and still worried that, you know, that the kids are never going to achieve it, but that there's a lot of wisdom that is within. And, um, and there's a lot of wisdom that their children have. Their children know what 
they are intrinsically interested in. Maybe they've never been able to articulate it or it's in the subconscious somewhere um, because they've been pushed so hard to just be seeking these external metrics of success that they've not listened to um, you know, what that voice is inside them saying. Um, I think that that's where you know, my experience with that auntie really was so helpful is that that was one of those pivotal moments and there's been many throughout my life where I just remembered, you know, maybe I should be like listening to my inside voice and not just looking out here for information about who I am. Um, because a lot of the advice that we give kids don't necessarily ring true to them. They, it's, it's not a one size fits all. And we know a lot about ourselves. That's why when we're hearing advice from every source, um, we sometimes will say, we adjust, like we're like, okay, yeah, that works for you. And I'll take that part of your advice. But I also know these conditions about my life or my kids um, that aren't exactly like your story. Mm. Um, and so the book really is about how do you help young people and parents to clear away some of that noise so that they can listen to what's within. And I mean, later we can talk more about like why I feel like yoga is such a powerful mm. instrument of reflection, um, a way of being able to turn down some of that noise that is like incessant in our lives. Um, but we don't get very much opportunity to do that. We don't make opportunity for our kids to do it. We don't make opportunity for ourselves to do it. We're, you know, 24 seven on our devices and, and taking in so much stimulation and we, um, you know, struggle with being able to trust our own inner voices and trust our, our children to have intrinsic interests and, and voices as well. Hmm. Jill, that makes me think a little bit of your parenting style. I think you do a really good job of watching and listening. You know, you have four pretty different personalities, all figuring out what's important to them and sort of showing you. And I think you do a great job of watching and listening. Yeah, I, it's funny, because I'm like, immediately, as you say that, I'm like, Oh, God, I don't do a great job parenting. <laughs> but, there, but there is that, there is that voice. Um, and I think there's an element. So it's interesting, because my, my parent, my parents were always, um, like, when I was young, I truly believed that my parents would let me become whatever I wanted to be. And as long as I was happy, like I can remember multiple times, my mother saying like, you can do any job. Like, it doesn't matter to me what you do, as long as you are a good person and you're honest and you're a good friend and you're, you know, a good, you live by the morals that we've taught you and, and that you're happy. Um, and I, I think I think that gave me the confidence to go out and fail and fail publicly mm. or tr and try and to do things. Um, and, but I think a lot of, about that with, with my own kids and, and kind of where they want to go and what direction they want to go in. And I want to be able to say all of that stuff to them. But at the same time, I do think like I get nervous, like, Oh, they live in this construct of society where they are needing to, be really good in school or at least get through school in a way that's productive so that they can do this and do that. So it's just hard as a parent. Um, and I think it takes that constant reminder, right? Like through the book and the constant awareness, which I think is what you're getting at, which I think we try to get at a lot in yoga 
where there's enough time and space and stillness to know Mm -hmm. like who you really are and what your values are Mm -hmm. so that you don't project too much onto their little Mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is a bit, and I feel how it aligns with what we do too, the self-compassion that really comes in. So giving yourself, just like Belle said, I see you as a parent and I know that it's tough. And so to offer that to yourself as you go through the journey of what it feels like to raise them in the society that they're part of and give them the space to be their own beings. And I often think of, there's a poem by Cahil Gibran, our children are children, but they come through us. They are not us, you know, Mm. so we get to raise them, but they are not us. They're, they belong to the world essentially is what the poem says. Mm. And I think when I remind myself and Jillian, I think this is why you and I are really good partners. I have a fear of failure. And you have this way where failure is a necessary part of the game. Mm. And so I'll come to you and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I switched this and I think it didn't work. And you're like, great, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to figure out and sort of poke holes in the places where we can find a better solution or a better way of doing things. Mm. And so it's helped me not fear failure, but welcome it in as Mm. part of that necessary process that really is growth. And so it's it's become Mm. interesting to grow beyond you know the years where we think we're done developing and continue to really grow and develop and I think that's what parenting allows us to do is make some pretty public (laughs) mistakes to be able to even share them and relate over them and connect and feel like oh nobody told me that it was going to feel like this but this is normal right Mm. and something else comes to mind when I think about your partnership um there's a chapter in our book that's about value archetypes and how we all have different approaches to our work. So there are trailblazers who are, uh, you know, their core values are individualistic. Um, you know, they're the innovators, they fail fast, they're fine with that. They work outside of the system. They do things that are like outside of the box. And then the opposite of them are guardians who, um, you know, are more like focused on collective, you know, the collective kinds of values and security versus growth, like so hold things together and so on. And so organizations need both, you know, you need like a Jillian to like, be like, all right, we're just going to like rip off the bandaid and see what happens, you know, and we're going to just buy up these, these different um, studios and let's see if it works. And then we need the Lorraines to, you know, really, um, you know, batten down the hatches and make sure that we can be financially sound and 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 keep things and, and preserve what's tried and true about the culture of you know our organization and you know I'm just putting that out there I'm not saying necessarily you're this or that archetype but we all are needed and um, and so you know I think that that's a really important finding from our research is that organizations ought not be threatened by their trailblazers or the trailblazers need not to be like annoyed with the guardians. You know, they, we need our value archetypes really, um, you know, are complementary. A thousand, I mean, like that describes us perfectly. So <laughs> funny. And, that, and, and I think we've known that for a while, how complementary our styles are and that we, I don't think we could get it done as well as we get anything done without each other. Um, we have this really wonderful push and pull. Mm-hmm. I wonder how, because I think about that with my children, like what is going to be their 
archetype personality and how as a parent can I, and do you fuel that natural archetype personality or do you infuse the things that would like for me as a trailblazer, would it be better if my parents had like tried to infuse a little bit of slowing down and a little bit more patience and, um, or is it just like, yeah, take it, this is your strength and go with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's such a great question. Um, sometimes the archetype that we are is who we want to be. And then, you know, sometimes we have one that we aspire towards or that we need to move a little bit more towards. So like what Lorraine was just saying about learning to be okay with mistakes or failure is probably her aspiration. So even if she tends more towards, uh, you know, being an achiever and, you know, um, security oriented, she wants to, to be able to embrace growth and, um, and risks. Um, so I think that the answer lies somewhere in between that there are ways that we are that we, we can really value, you know, that if they've gotten us this far, they've, you know, they've helped us to be um, able to do what we've done. And at the same time, you know, we have our growth edges. So, um, you know, this is why I think sometimes, um, you know, this saying about we end up in partnerships with people, whether it's like in a marriage or business partnership with people who are opposites of us. It's because we, and it's exactly why we sometimes have conflict with those people. But if only we understood, like, I married you in the first place, or I became partners with you in the first place is because I needed more of what you've got and you need more of what, of what I've got, you know, and, and, and like a good partnership, you kind of start to open yourself up to a, some different values and, um, and come more towards the middle. So with our children, I think it's the same thing is that there are ways that they are kind of in hardwired towards some certain kinds of interests. But at the same time, you know, I know that most of us believe in growth mindset, you know, that there are ways in which they can be stretched, that they want to be stretched, you know, like maybe, you know, the, the child that is like really fearful of change, that's not serving them well. Yes, it helps them to be very loyal as a friend and sentimental and all the good things about staying the course. But at the same time, it's keeping them from certain experiences that they long for, they want, mm -hmm. they see other, you know, ways in which, um, you know, kids are more free than them. And they're so anxious about, you know, getting it right, that it keeps them from having those experiences. And so I think, you know, as a parent, um, you watch your children and you relish who they are today. And at the same time, you honor the fact that they're in process. And that there are, you know, new places for them to go. Um, so it's a little bit of both. I love that, Belle. We had an experience this summer where I have a cautious kid. He's the firstborn. Mm -hmm. And I also, something you said makes me think about your co-author, the idea that it's funny that the two of you found each other because you have different perspectives and different mm -hmm. backgrounds that brought you where you could end up working together. Mm -hmm. So I'll circle back on that. But it was really interesting to push my cautious kid a little. And it was, it was sort of measured. Like it wasn't a big push, but it was just enough outside of his comfort zone. And it was a span of time where he went on a 
a picnic with other kids instead of staying with us where it was really safe and he knew what to expect, but there was an activity. And so I sort of nudged him and it was a short amount of time. So I knew he would be back. He would only be gone from 11 to two. And the whole span of time, I kind of anguished my decision to push because he was pretty resistant. And then one of my parent friends said, you know, just revisit it. See if he would want you to push again. He came back happy and excited and pretty proud of himself. I think he was almost a little cautious about telling me how much fun he had. But so a couple of days later, I checked in again and I said, would you want me to push you again? And he goes, I think so. I think if it was small like that again, you could push me. And so it was really nice to have that insight from a parent further down the road to say, you know, instead of worrying too much and second guessing, why not check in with him? And it was such a lovely way of like, of course, right, that great answer. And so I did. And it felt like, okay, it gives us a little roadmap to the next time, because there will always be a next time. So even if I did it wrong there, right, quote, unquote, wrong, there's still room to renegotiate because, and I say this in yoga too, that you're going to be a million more moments mm. where you get to try again. Mm. And that comes from you too, Jillian, that idea of like, it's not one and done ever. It's here's another time to try and see if you can put yourself out there a little more and take another risk and see how it goes. So it's just interesting. I love that story so much, Lorraine. Um, That is one of the things that I really took away from yoga is that it's a practice. And Mm. I think that's so true for parenting. I just said to my son, like, um, you know, five minutes before I came onto this podcast, um, I was asking him about, you know, his study for SAT and then the common out, you know, getting ready for, and then I just could see his face, like going from enthusiastic to deflated. And I said, Tobe, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm not good at this yet. You know, like I have not had a son, your age, your temperament, your, I am like on new territory here. And so I know that that probably didn't hit your ears the way that, you know, you, but work with me here, you know, like, just remember, I'm in the process too. And I think that that's, you know, really important for us to understand as parents is that we haven't been at this moment before, Mm. even if it's like our fourth child, it's still a a new situation because each of our kids have their own temperaments and the ways that they respond to the world and to us. And so rather than beating ourselves up with like, oh, I missed that moment, or I screwed that up with my kid. It's like, of course I did, because I haven't been in this in this moment before. And I'm going to, you know, have another opportunity to, Mm -hmm. you know, tweak that. Just like you said, Lorraine, we have like many, many moments ahead of us. So um, I think it's self-compassion is such a huge part of, of being able to parent well. Well, that really lands in that vulnerable place of like, wait a second, we're a team. You know, I've never had an 11 year old before. You've never been 11 and three quarters before. And so maybe you and I can do this together. And it's such a sweet pairing because with my 11 year old, I feel like we're on opposite sides. So it kind of neutralizes that ground that's in the middle. So thank you for that too, Mm -hmm. Belle. I think our kids, when we are humble about it, and I did this as well with my my daughter, who as a firstborn, she really is so independent and really did not appreciate, um, you know, being told like most of us don't, but she especially, you know, was just very capable of just doing it herself. And, um, you know, and I, but because she's my first child and when she came out of the nest and into, um, into college, 
I still felt like I had a million lessons that I hadn't taught her yet. And I was just really struggling with how much to continue to insert myself. And, um, you know, I think that just being able to say to her, um, okay, I'm sorry, like, you know, I retract, you know, you go do it, you know, so that process of humility with our children is maybe a little countercultural, you know, we think that we need to be the experts in the relationship and that they won't respect us as much if we um, call ourselves out um, and say, you know, okay, I, I, don't, I don't really, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure this is going to land well with you. Um, and let me try this and you help me with how you're hearing this. Um, I find that with my kids that goes a long way with their mm. being more compassionate towards the parent. Um, and I think it's okay to do. They, they, they don't respect us any less when we just admit we're human. Mm. Uh, I think it's like, you know, they start, it's better that we, we, you know, admit to that than they figure that out down the road and are disillusioned. Hmm. Yeah, I can remember as a kid, there being these defining moments in your life where you figure out your parents are not the, they're just human, right? Yeah, that they make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And those moments actually feel pretty like, oh no, <laughs> who are these people? <laughs> I thought that they knew what they were doing and they don't. Um, mm-hmm. And I can remember being quite disillusioned by the fact that my mother wasn't completely perfect. Mm-hmm. Or one time when I was in, I was really young and I heard another mother call my mother the B word. And that the, to the concept that somebody else felt like my mother wasn't perfect, which she was, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like rocked my world. And I can remember telling her and being so upset. Um, and it's, it's not a fault to my mom that she was so great that I thought that she was perfect, but I do think it is something I try to be a little bit different with my kids about in that I try to be quick to apologize because I do yell more than I would like to yell, you know, and I try to tell them when I've made a mistake or that I don't know exactly what path we're going down. Um, and I don't know the right answer and we're just going to have to see. And for one of my kids, she doesn't take that as well. Like she wants to know that I know where we're going. And for the other kids, they're like, okay, let's go on a trip. Let's try it. Um, so it's, it's interesting how you want to try to shift the perspective from the way your parents parented you, but also that each kid needs their own individual parenting style. If somebody told me that before I had four kids, I wouldn't have had four kids. I would always have my kids, but they need so, I thought that as a parent, I was going to have children and I was going to parent them how I thought was correct. Mm -hmm. My parenting style was going to be my parenting style. And it's so different for each kid. And it has to be, they need different things. Well, and I think Belle, you brought up how humbling it can all feel. It also makes me think of teaching yoga. I think that there's a space where I feel really humbled and I'm more of a, I like to watch and see and put it together in a way that creates a little more freedom and maybe self-discovery so that I'm not ordering people to do things a certain way and hit it in a place that is about form and perfection. 
And so maybe it gives a little space for life and things and a practice to be nuanced and that place where there's room to grow and change. So your practice when you were 19 or 20 is going to be really different than your practice when you're 40 or 50 or 60. And so can there be space to be humbled and really listen in a way that's not always comfortable. And so it's just that microcosm of life. And I can tell when people are rushing or when they feel frustrated. And those are all really normal. I used to think that that hour on, on your mat in yoga or that 10 minutes of meditation had to be a place of perfection and quiet and ease and nothing could distract you. And now I've come to learn that the distractions are really good and necessary and they show you how you cope when you're not in the room where the walls are just perfect and the ground is swept and you've got this little mat where you get to move for yourself. Can there be frustration and can you dance with anxiety? Can you feel the things that come up, but give yourself that permission to let them be what they are without so much judgment or being so tied to a certain outcome? And it's not easy. And I think some people don't love that messy stuff that can come up or that uncomfortable stuff. But I think that when we allow room for it, it's really what gives us what we're looking for to do the stuff that really matters. And that's, that's the practice. Mm. Yeah, I had this thought come to my mind as you're describing um, the mat as sort of a microcosm of the world that we bring our value archetype to our mat. You know, so that one who is like not about change and afraid to take risk is like being careful on their mat too. Mm. Um, and the one that's like, you know, trailblazer, feel fast is like, splat you know like whatever they're doing is fun as long as it's fun and they want to keep doing it that's fine they don't have to achieve like the performance mindset they're not trying to uh you know impress their teacher or um you know get the accolades in the room and um so we bring who we are to every space um whether it's our mat or whether it's into parenting or into the workplace but the mat is a place where you can play with a different archetype, you know, so that like I, um, like you described yourself, Lorraine, am pretty risk averse, you know, just, you know, wanting to do it right, wanting to um, do it well, wanting to be the first to do, you know, all the, the achievement performance mindset um, aspects that we talk about in the book. And at the same time, why the mat was, is fun for me is this idea of nobody's watching. Um, there's no one to impress here. And there's just me and my mat. And so I can take a few risks here. Mm. I can let some of that baggage go for the next hour. Mm. And so Jillian, it circles back to your question of pushing the edges and playing with different archetypes in a way that's really exciting and safe and perhaps fun too. Wait, what are the different? So are there just two? The there's trailblazer? So oh, give, it, trailblazer, give me the others. Okay. And then the guardian, who's the opposite. And then it's four quadrants. Um, if you think of two axes, there is the, um, the axis of, of individualism to collectivism. Those are core values, which are on an axis. And then the other one, think of it, the Y axis is growth to stability. And those two axes come together to form what we, um, you know, our research shows are four archetypes. So trailblazers are 
high individualists so that I could work outside of the system, outside of the box, push the envelope. And they're also, um, you know, about, about growth and change. And then guardians are high collectivists. They work within systems to preserve what's tried and true. They're stability oriented. And then the other two quadrants are high individualist um, and at the same time, um, high stability. We call those champions. So they might be like the valedictorians. They know how to work within the system well. They know how to optimize their achievers. And then there's builders who are the opposite of them. They have high collectivist and high change growth orientation. So they are working for change, but to doing it for their community about it's about making more space so that everybody can belong. You know, they might be like, uh, you know, the people who are focused on diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging in their organizations. So those are the four four different types. And, um, you know, what our research shows is that in certain organizations, uh, there are value archetypes that tend to be more rewarded and privileged and so some of the work that we're doing is for organizations and, and, and management and leaders to start becoming more aware of what their biases are. And, you know, so like some organizations are really threatened by trailblazers and builders who are going to push them to change. And, um, and, and what they need to recognize is that they need that change and that, you know, this is not about a person who has a difficult personality. It's, you know, they're bringing their gifts to the organization and they can help you to grow. And in the same way, um, you know, people who are guardians and, you know, tend to be like champions, more stability oriented, need not be threatened by the trailblazers and builders. They need to recognize that, you know, that there's, um, you know, opportunity for, for each of these, or, you know, everybody to, to belong here. Um, so when we look at our kids, you know, definitely we can see that um, sometimes they're misunderstood by other kids because of what they lead with, you know, what they prioritize in terms of their core values. We all have them. We all share the same core values. There's not, you know, anybody who does not care about the collective who's individualist and an individualist, you know, in the opposite direction. It's just what do we prioritize? What do we lead with? What is our primary um, orientation? I love it. It's what so I love, me and Lorraine. <laughs> well, what I love about in the book too is, um, you know, they the whole intention is to give you some room to where you feel the exhale of less mm. pressure, less need to try and be something different because everyone has value. And so the running thread is that we all belong. We're all mm. necessary. Mm -hmm. And so we don't have to try so hard to change anybody in our lives or ourselves to fit into a different part of those categories that once you find and discover, then the richness just bubbles right to the surface. And it has a way of giving you the room to be open to others, to be open to those places of yourself, and then to ultimately play with the edges so that you feel like you have those complete things that light you up and give you a sense of purpose in your work, in your personal life, in your relationships. And so, Belle, I'm so impressed with the way it came together with so much work and research and your partnership and how both of you, you and yeah, Tim. So is, is Tim, is Tim a trailblazer or a guardian? Tim is definitely a trailblazer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And which is what is why it's such a fun partnership is that he is not afraid of failing. You know, he's this young guy relative to, to me who is uh, all about fail fast and you know, and, and just like your partnership, the two of you, um, our partnership is good because we're not the same. And, you know, what he 
brings to me is different than what I bring to him in the partnership. And um, so it's, it definitely makes life more fun and interesting to work with people who don't share your exact perspective and your approach. And I'll just give a little, a little spoiler that Tim had very little structure. You know, his parents were sort of free and open and you can be anything, Jillian, you know, you can be whatever you want. And, you know, you Bell's, your family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. Bell's side was like, here's the structure, here's how you achieve and here's the pathway to mm-hmm. get to that achieved success. And so the two of them dance with the the boundaries and the freedom and meld it together in a way that gives us a little bit more of a framework and a map as we go forward. Um, I'll also say that I discovered that in the audiobook you get some extras, you know, tools to work with, whether it's worksheets and kind of play with the people that you know and yourself and the people that you might be guiding, whether you're a teacher or, you know, um, somebody who has a team underneath you. So there's some room and some real structure to put this stuff into practice. And so I love that you wrote something that's so personally interesting and so practical, whether you're finding your next career or phase in life or still kind of navigating through some of the stickiness of early development and college, pre-college. So the book is for everyone, the way that you wrote it, Belle. And so I look forward to more. As you can tell, we could talk for days <laughs> about some of the personal anecdotes and just life and our stories. But I hope I will get to see you on the mat soon. And anything else? What did I miss? Good. Good. It was so good. So fun. So Thank you yeah. so much, Belle. And so, so I'll invite others, so yeah, I'll invite others to read it, to listen to it, to come into the conversation. And I have a feeling that we'll be doing more because this is so useful for our community and so many people who are looking to figure out how to bring these skills and ways to navigate life into practice. Good. Thank so you thank so you much. again, Belle. And oh, we'll see you. So Yay. All right. Yeah, I'll play us out. Um, with a little tune from our friend Mike Borgonzano, who's one of our teachers and a school teacher and a fellow mentor. So this is his work and it's called Be a Bee. Can be found on Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. Good. Well, I think you have a